Hey guys, welcome back to the Far Better Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Clark, and today is the end of Season 6. It, it's really kind of hard to believe. Uh, this has really crept up on me this time around. Um, I have been a lot more behind than normal doing this, but there's kind of been a lot going on at the network. I'll detail that more next week, and uh, we'll see what we can have on there as far as some information about moving forward at the Scattered Abroad Network here, but... This season has been special in that I decided rather than doing my Letters to Asia season, this particular one, that's next season, I would go through and look at sermons that were some of my favorite sermons to preach so far. And that's been an encouraging thing for me to do, to kind of go back and and somewhat retool some of these lessons and and fine-tune them a little bit further but also to kind of remind myself of where I was at in life when I wrote them and seeing how I've progressed, and and hopefully I'll always be able to progress forward. Uh, Pray for me that we do that at the Scattered Abroad Network as a whole, but also that I'm able to do another one of these seasons next fall. Uh, I'm kind of really enjoying doing it that way. One thing that is unique about the way that I've chosen to, to podcast is I take a sermon pretty much every time I podcast, and I break it up into three episodes, meaning it's perfect to do a gospel meeting series that way because most gospel meetings are six to seven lessons long. And so when I'm asked to go and do one of those, and it's a theme that maybe I've never done before, I have a unique opportunity to plan out a season of Scattered Abroad for far better at that point. This has been fun because I had to go back through and and pick some of the sermons, and some of the sermons were new, uh, that I've written since I've been out of preaching locally. And some of the sermons were, as I mentioned last week, sermons that I did while I was preaching at Somerville, uh, in Somerville, Tennessee, for the Somerville Church of Christ. And so my Somerville listeners out there, um, sorry that you're hearing all of these again, uh, but I'm thankful. And uh, I'll, I'll give a special shout-out right now to one that I know listens. Nathan, what's up, man? Good to see you. Uh when I see you. (laughs) Uh, But today we're closing out the episode and closing out the season of We Are Not the Main Character on season six of my favorite sermons preached so far, and we're doing my favorite thing to do in a sermon, and that is the text takeaways. I want to talk about that just a moment. Yes, I'm kind of stalling for time because the text takeaways are never usually 15-something minutes long, Uh, so... Let me tell you how these got started. My first couple of years in preaching at Somerville, I always seemed to struggle to sit down and go, okay, I've got to have three points. I've got to have three. Sometimes I had more. But I got to a point where some of them I would look at and go, all right, where's the third point? I don't see a third point. Great. What do I do? And I started getting to a situation where... I thought, well, I'll just do application. I'll just throw application, or sometimes I'll do the text, the issue, and the meaning. And so I was like, well, I'll just I'll shift that, and I'll call it application. And so probably about 2019, uh, I really heavily leaned into application side of things because the way Ryan Manning and I did it at Somerville was we would take books of the Bible, and we would draft chapters from them, and then we had to write sermons on it. And so when I would get to the end of those chapters, I thought, well— I want to try to give a a bow on the sermon to where I can say, this is what I want you to think is, you know, 
the most important thing to take away from this lesson are these few takeaways. And it also gave me an opportunity to stop trying to force a third point. And I, I personally think that it helped me kind of hone in more on the purpose of the text that we were studying. Maybe you disagree with that. Uh, you know, uh, Nathan, if you're listening, uh, you could tell me if you think that's right or not. But I felt that it improved my ability to study and helped me kind of zero in more. What was unique was when I got to certain lessons like this particular one where it's text takeaways, it's not from like an expository sermon or a textual sermon itself. It's more topical nature, and I still want to do text takeaways. And so I would have to try to study harder to make sure I found the verses that appropriately set the tone for what I felt we'd been studying. So tonight, as I am recording this at least, today maybe when you're listening, I've got three takeaways. The first is this. We have to humble ourselves in order to be successful. You know, Christ came to the earth when we didn't deserve him. From the first man that lived on this earth to the last one who ever could, we will never deserve what we've been given. We are a sin-ridden world, and even the best of people transgress and are in need of God's grace. And the best example of that, as you might be trying to think, well, what do you mean the best of people too? Well, Cornelius was a devout man, Acts 10.2. He feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed to God always, and yet there was something missing, and it's obvious that something was missing because otherwise, why would God tell Peter to go see him? We have to remind ourselves that the humility of Christ is what is so important. In the first episode that we did this particular sermon, we talked about Philippians 2, 5 through 11. But now I want to look at Philippians 2, 1 through 4, because I think sometimes we miss the purpose of verses 5 and following. Because a lot of times, if you've heard it this way, you know, I don't think it's wrong necessarily to do this, but I think we kind of betray the context a little bit. Anytime we want to talk about humility, anytime we want to talk about Jesus' example, we jump right to verse 5. Well, Paul does a pretty good job of, of setting up verse 5 with the first four verses. He says in verse 1, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, comfort of love, fellowship of the Spirit, affliction and mercy, fulfill my joy... By being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Essentially, Paul is saying, be a hive mind, if you will, where all of you are in sync and in unison, and you all know what the other is trying to do and accomplish. And he furthers that point by saying in verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. And let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Then Paul makes a shift to the greatest example of humility that we could have, which is Jesus, who came to the earth when it was not easy and did what was not pleasant so that we could benefit. Paul says that's the mind from verses 1 through 4, that needs to be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. It's kind of like Paul's setting the sermon up, verses 1 through 4 is the introduction, and then 5 and following is the body of the sermon. 
We have to humble ourselves in order to be successful. Number two, this is God's story, but we do have a part to play. While you and I are not the main characters of the story, we are still invaluable to God. We are not the ones who have the full focus, but God put his full focus on sparing us. Romans 5, 6 through 8. If we didn't have any value, why would God do that for us? And Jesus prayed in the garden in Luke twenty two forty one through 44. He was withdrawn from the stones throw. He knelt down and prayed. And he said, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. An angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus lived a life that said our salvation was worth his death. We are so insignificant. We are so worthless of what we've been given, and we got it all the same. You know how you feel when somebody pays for your meal, and you weren't expecting that? And you're so excited, man, that, that 20 bucks is really going to help. That, that $40 that we were going to spend on our family tonight, that was really going to help. If that's how we feel about somebody footing the bill for our food, how should we feel about the man who was sacrificed in our stead? Number three, and finally, will we put the proper focus and importance on what truly matters most? Will we be involved in doing the work that is required by Christians? What's going to be the excuse? You know, we have things that we can classify as needs. I needed to be at practice. I needed to be at the ball game. I needed to be doing my homework. I needed to be doing that extra assignment for work, even though I don't have to be there doing extra overtime hours. I needed to do this because I needed, I needed, I needed, I needed, I needed. But we can really fix a lot of those sentences, and we could say, I wanted to be at the ball game. I wanted to be at practice. I wanted to finish that school assignment. I wanted to finish that project. I wanted to prioritize those things over the work of the church. But the work of the church is supposed to come first. And it's not to say that anything done in the proper time would always be sinful. There, there's a time to do just about anything that is holy and scriptural. So yeah, you can go practice, you can go play a game, you can go and run that marathon, you can go to whatever it is you love doing, there is a time and place to do it. So long as we're never caught guilty of compromising salvation for some type of activity. And I'm thankful that, as far as I know, everyone that I know specifically that listens to these podcasts, I don't know that you have that issue. But you might. And if you do, it's my responsibility to at least bring this up and ask you to consider it if you do or not. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us there's a time and place for every season. To be born, to die, to plant to pick up what was planted, to kill, to heal, to break down, build up, weep, laugh, mourn, dance, 
Cast away stones, gather stones, embrace, refrain from embracing, gain, lose, keep, throw away, tear, sow, keep silence, to speak, to love, to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. But we must make sure that those things are not the main character in our own lives. There's a time for both. Will we do the work of the church, or will we be too arrogant to realize that we're not the main character? You know, nobody is bowing to you and to I, to me, on the day of judgment. Watch Philippians 2, 9 through 11. When Paul writes to these people in Philippi, he says, I want you to remember something. God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Michael Clark, at the name of those who represent the Scattered Abroad Network, the Memphis School of Preaching, the Forest Hill Church of Christ, the Somerville Church of Christ, any of the churches that we can find, the congregations, that's in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven, those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So many movies depict heroes as unsuspecting people that accomplish these great feats and gain the respect, though they were not expected to be successful. One example stands out in my mind as we close today. In the book and movie, The Lord of the Rings, specifically I know the movie depicts this pretty well, in the book, in the movie, The Return of the King, after Frodo and Bilbo, goodness, Sam, <laughs> I'm going to get it right eventually. After the hobbits defeat Sauron and they're able to save Middle-earth, they find themselves at Gondor with King Aragorn. And something, well, there's my alarm going off. You know, one of these days I will do this without messing anything up. Let's just start over. Ready? After Middle-earth is saved, Frodo and his friends in the movie Return of the King, they're all standing before Aragorn, and all of the people are watching as Frodo and his friends begin to bow before King Aragorn, who used to just be one of their companions, one of the Fellowship of the Ring. And he, he does something that is so interesting and unique that a king would do this. And he says, my friends, you bow to no one. And then he and everyone else in his kingdom all bow down in unison to these four unsuspecting hobbits. They were the ones that actually managed to save Middle-earth. Sure, everybody played a part, and the king obviously played a part too, if you've seen the movies or read the books, but without them, there's nothing. Will we remind ourselves that the Savior's most important? Or will we promote ourselves, like the Pharisees, Sadducees, the Jewish high priest, countless others. Friends, this is not our story. It's the Lord's. So will we put the proper focus on Him?
Thank you so much for being a part of the Scattered Abroad Network this week with me, listening to the Far Better Podcast. We have content coming out every day of the month and opportunities for you to grow. Until next week, when we come back for a special episode, let's remember to please God now so our eternity can be far better.